It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to the podcast, the Nature Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name's Fergus Collins and I'm your host. And welcome to season 15, amazingly, 15 seasons. And this is all about mindful walks in nature and exploring the outdoors and just putting one foot in front of the other and sharing it with you. And this week, I'm heading to the Ridgeway, one of our oldest walking trails, one of our oldest roads. It's linked communities for thousands of years and has stories in every step. Now, I was lucky enough to go there with anthropologist and archaeologist Mary Anna Hutter, who is the patron of the Ridgeway Trail. So she's celebrating the magic of this amazing path and also the historic sites around it. So she took me to some of those and it really was a spellbinding day out. I hope you enjoy it. It's a late autumn day and I've arrived in the eerie stone circle of Avebury, depths of Wiltshire. I'm surrounded by the huge outer mounds that form the circle surrounding the, the stones, which I tumbled and some standing tall. There's a bit of sunshine, but it's very windy. But I'm here to meet Marianne Ahota, who is, so I can see her in the distance, standing by one of the, one of the tallest stones here in Avebury. And um, what we're gonna do is a, a circular walk, starting and finishing at Avebury, which is sort of the undersung wonder, archaeological wonder of uh, southern England. Stonehenge gets loads of press, but Avebury, I think for me, is the more spectacular and special place to explore. I agree, I agree just driving in with those massive great sarsen stones sort of hanging over the road and these, what are these sort of like bound, is it like a boundary? Uh, yes, um, yes, you've spotted the Superhenge, Fergus. <laughs> so this okay. is a... I like spotting Superhenges. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, so what this is, is it's an encircling earthwork. It's about 500 metres across. And Avebury is a kind of set of concentric circular monuments, mostly. There's lots of other complicated things going on as well. So you've got this huge earthwork henge... It's got a bank on the outside and then a really big ditch on the inside. And then inside that circle is our two other stone circles and a big outer circle. And then all sorts of complicated little stone arrangements within those those um, It really monuments. is complicated. I mean, it's hard to see the circle. I mean, yes, it, it's a very circular site, but it's hard to see the circle of hinges because a lot of stones no longer there. But. Yes, uh, yeah, there's quite a few missing, but there are certain sections that have been um, resurrected and others, a couple of stones are still standing as they have been for, for 5,000 or so years. So this site is older than Stonehenge. And the weird thing about it when you were saying sort of driving in is you're absolutely right. There's a road that goes through this amazing <laughs> yeah, monument <laughs> and a village. Yeah. There's a whole village. Avebury Village is literally inside this extraordinary prehistoric landscape. The, the, the path that we're walking on now to kind of make this circular route, we're going to join up with the Ridgeway, yeah. which is an ancient prehistoric track. 
and then do a sort of loop to the south that takes in lots of other very old monuments, about 5,000 5, years old to, to about 4,000 years old. So this site has clearly been very sort of intensely focused on yeah. for millennia. But the village itself, we know that it was quite a, quite a significant village in medieval times because that's the first records that we have of people smashing up the stones <laughs> right. or, or burying them because yeah. they're kind of considered to be the devil's stones and you've got to get rid of them because, you know, you can't be a Christian, a good Christian and have this kind of terrifying monument around you. That's why it's really weird they've built a village in the middle of... Yeah, they've got a church. Yeah, this kind of centre of drop. ancient power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe that dispels the <laughs> pagan yeah. forces. That's it, that's it. Um, more and more we learn that these um, prehistoric monuments that in our minds are kind of separate from the secular, you know, rough and tumble of ev- everyday life probably weren't. They were actually sort of amongst... Oh, that's um, really, yeah. ev- everyday life but that said this is special and odd this yeah. is the um, I don't know the great temple the holy city except not a city still this is where people would have come from a long, a long way around do you think I, th- I think so yeah um, w- what you've got is, is the ridgeway which is now a national trail but has been a, kind of a routeway in existence for again millennia um, travelling up over the sometimes the high ground of the chalk downs depending on the weather people were very pragmatic in the olden days so if it was like really wet and cold and slippery you wouldn't walk up on the top of the chalk you'd, you'd kind of find a route down in the valley but fundamentally it's a route that helps people travel east-west across the fertile valleys of, and, and uh, land of, of southern England I think maybe it was also a place where you know, every year or every few years, everyone would have a big shindig oh, and sort of good. a gathering place. Yeah, um, so when not, we look not at solemn and kind of, but actually a party. <laughs> well, possibly both. Yeah. I think it's, it's always quite useful, isn't it, to think about, um, I don't know, imagine going to Glastonbury Music Festival now. There's people getting, you know, completely off their heads and kind of going with the music. There's people going with their friends and it's actually all about who they're with. It's people going there to meet other people. Um, but there's also probably some people having a really like, quite a profound spiritual experience or taking part in some kind of collective endeavour that makes them feel like they've transcended themselves. Yeah. And it's all happening in this one site that then kind of has this memory and people talk about that place or that experience. And I think, you know, fundamentally, lots of things have changed. We've got smartphones and, you know, antibiotics, but fundamentally, the things that drive us and the things that make our hearts sing, they're, they're exactly the same as they were for our ancestors 6,000 years ago. Very hard spindleberries here. Oh, I was wondering what they were. Yeah, they're they're just, I haven't seen them for a long time, they're but like I used to collect them for Christmas decorations. Um, so we're just coming out of the village past a farm and the ridgeway is on a ridge of chalk downland up ahead of us, so the, the land rises and it runs across there, is that right? Yes, across that's sort of right. North to south here. Mm-hmm. So, we're coming out of Ave, uh, so we're coming out of Avebury village now to the east to join up with the ridgeway which runs along the high ground and you can see a big stand of beech trees upon the brow of the hill. It's a lovely clump, yeah. It's, it's, it's gorgeous, isn't it? from a Ravilius painting or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just beyond that is a, an area of land which is open access land, so you can wander about it freely. Um, and it's called Fifield Down, and it's one of the places where sarsen stones are naturally found, and these are the stones that you find raised up as standing stones in these huge sites like Avebury and at Stonehenge. So, so I'm too far to go to get the stones. No, well, you say that, but if it's 100 tonnes, it's a really long way. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, but not like Stonehenge with. Not, not from West Wales, no, no. no, no. But these, uh, Avebury is like um, a monument on steroids. The stones are absolutely vast. The other amazing thing about Avebury is that you can get right up to close to the stones. No tickets, no barriers, no payments. It's yours to explore at will. Um, so you can get a real sense of the scale of the monument, which is huge. Well, we're going to go back to Avery at the end, so that's going to be yeah. our loop. But 
you're, you've got a particular interest in this ridge, in the Ridgeway, haven't you? I have, yes, because as well as archaeology, the other thing that I really love is walking. And I'm very proud to say that I've been asked to be the patron for the Ridgeway National Trail's 50th anniversary, which runs, obviously, for the whole of 2023. So it's really exciting to have the opportunity to introduce you to a section of it. This is the western end. The other end of it is about 90 miles away in Buckinghamshire, uh, and it terminates at Ivinghoe Beacon. Lots of people do it as a, a kind of a through walk over a week, but there's loads of really wonderful routes where you can just explore a little bit of it little tasters yeah um... there's something about the scale of it when you're on the downland everything else sort of hushes down a little bit doesn't it It and and this time of year i mean if you ever want a a kind of an extra reason to get your shoes on and get out of the door when the when it's cold this time of year is beautiful because you get those low sunlight days those really long shadows really good for archaeology because you can spot the earthworks much more easily I don't know. The downs are soft, but there's something mysterious about them. I, th- I think they kind of... I'm going to get all poetic and a bit wah-wah no, no, now. Opportunity. <laughs> On a wild autumnal day. Yeah, that's around. it. Um, Apart from 70,000 listeners. But yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. You're, well, they're welcome to join us. I, I think there's something about downland. It feels like it holds memories. And I don't know whether that's because archaeological monuments, particularly prehistoric monuments, have survived more here even this is an ancient trackway it's known as green street or herapath so it's a it's like a a, a war road or perhaps a, a green lane for people droving so you'd keep your animals yeah. kind of close to your 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 home place but then you drive them up in the summer onto the downs so this itself that we're on now not on, not on the ridgeway yet but this path that you can see winding up into onto the ridge it's, yeah yeah that's interesting so, so but a war path what would that do on the war path yeah, it's it's a funny it's um it's it's a it's a strange Anglo-Saxon word, herapath. Um, it takes you back to that idea that roads and tracks only exist in places where people wanted to go from one place to another. You don't make them up for no reason. No. I think it's a bit weird that it's called a herapath though, because I think fundamentally this is a drover's road for seasonal grazing upon the upon the high ground. And then you look left and look there on the on the brow of the. Can you see the brow of that? Look, yeah. that's um. That, that hump. Oh yeah. That's a that's a Bronze Age round barrow. So later than Avebury, this is around mm, probably about 2000 BC okay. to about 1500 BC, and that's a, a burial site for someone. They'd be buried under. Those that. are lovely and mysterious. They're all across this land. There was a period of time in sort of 1700s, 1800s, when um, wealthy landowners who kind of had a sort of collecting mindset, part, partly sort of proto-scientific. But also, like, we're going to, you know, gather up all the treasures in these mounds. And more often than not, there weren't actually that many treasures. Um, and you kind of read diary reports of, you know, I set the workmen to dig into the mound and uh, all they found was some old bone. So I threw that away and you're like, ah. So one of the things that um, uh, that has come up from, from these really dry summers that we've had are really clear crop marks ah, where you can see yes. in what is now like aerial photos aerial of, photos of, um, of fields and hills and things showing up sort of lines is it? exactly so either a mark where it's a darker color where the plants even though they're under sort of drought conditions um the, the ones growing in a particular area appear to be getting a little bit more nutrition or the leaves are growing in a slightly different way that's an indicator that there used to be a ditch there, and so the soil is slightly different. So it retains this memory. You talked yeah. about memories in the landscape, yeah. but clearly land does retain these memories in a sort of geological way. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a corn bunting over here. It's a little sort of scratchy. Yeah, it may not, yeah, da, 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 yeah. That's a corn bunting. Oh, cool. Which is weird that it's singing this time of year, but yeah, like a jangling of keys. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool bunting. It's somewhere over here. Wait, we're like, should I be looking in the sky or on the ground? It'll be on the ground or on a fence post somewhere. I didn't bring my binoculars, otherwise it would be... I'll have a quick look up here. Just, It's I a very... It's the one sort of over Well, maybe, yeah. It's difficult with these earphones. Into... What, what am I looking for? A very, very brown, dumpy-looking bird. It's oh, the size lovely. of a finch. A little brown It is a sort dobby. of finch, yeah. It's 
it might even be just out in the middle here. It's very hard to see it. It's very faint as well. So This chalk is really slippery when it's wet. Um, and it gets kind of very rutted quite quite quickly and really slick. It's and if co- you it's walk like concrete. for a day, yeah. yeah, if you walk for a day, your, your boots or shoes end up absolutely caked in these huge clods of horrible, thick, slick chalk. And yeah. then it does make me laugh because I kind of sometimes sort of the modern idea is like it was the M4, and so people obviously followed this route and this route alone. People were, like, really pragmatic. I mean, you wouldn't bring your pack animals or yourself up onto the high ground where you get hypothermic and fall over. You know, people aren't idiots. They would have walked at a low-level path if the weather demanded it. Yeah, I like that about your your interpretations of stuff. It's like when you did the Knowlton Circles, it's very much like, hold on a minute, this isn't all ritual. This is (laughs) practical stuff going on here. Well, there might be one on the fence up here. I don't know. Oh, is that? Could be. There's definitely one really close by oh, here. Lovely. Quite heavy. Yeah, that's a corn bunting. Oh, brilliant. See, it's like a sparrow. Like a big, big, big sparrow. fat sparrow, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to sing for us. So we're on the ridgeway. This is amazing. This is the ancient path. So yeah. we're walking in the footsteps of. I mean. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years of people perhaps be travelling from the wider dispersed agricultural settlements in in this area down to what would have probably been very well-known very special ceremonial centres along the River Kennet around Silbury Hill Oh, that's behind us, okay, yeah just to the south To the south, yeah But also it would have been a trackway that people would have used to access the downland to graze animals in the summer um, so in the winter it's, it's windy, it's cold it's slippery and so you wouldn't necessarily bring your sheep or cattle up here, but in the summer you kind of turn them out, people would camp up on the hills probably and sort of have a bit more seasonal grazing I see, so um, look at these flints here, they're just beautiful on the, so flint yeah. and chalk go together yeah, oh, ten a penny. You can pick a great few things. They're really up. fantastic. And you can see that it doesn't. It does take skill. You need to know what you're doing. But you knock off the edges of this this white stuff, this skin. It's called the cortex of a flint nodule. And then you get to this beautiful, smooth. It's um, very fine-grained flint. And that's it's the black stuff in the middle. Yeah. Or the sort of, sort of bluish. All sorts of different colours. Yeah. That's a... And then. Um, you know, and that's you know what, what the blade is in ancient times is the um is the black stuff in the middle yeah that's it so you ah, kind of knock okay. off this where it's um it's sort of had a chemical interaction with the soil around it and you get to this uh, sort of the pure stuff inside you know like the the juicy bit of an orange you get the peel yeah, out yeah. of the way <laughs> <coughs> and then you you strike it in certain ways to to get the blades that you need so either a really sharp blade or a flattened softer bit that sits in the palm of your hand or gets hefted into the hafted into the uh, handle of your tool. But they the make a thing... lovely sound, actually. When you dropped it, there was a sort of glass-like sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've left the ridgeway and we've entered this amazing landscape of... Like, it's it's weirdly different from all that arable land we've just come into. And this is five down, I know it. But these stones are sort of weirdly scattered around the landscape. Yeah, so this area um, is where these stones have been deposited... Um, naturally, and these are sarsen stones, it's a type of a sandstone, and it's the stones that you find at Avebury. It's also the, the biggest stones that you get at Stonehenge. Um, apparently, the reason they're called sarsen stones is because of their association with these ancient monuments. Um, sort of in the medieval period, when anything that wasn't Christian was a Saracen or sort of Moorish or <laughs> really you know, foreign exotic thing. Saracen stones. So these are Saracen stones, and it's a sort of um, they're, yeah, they're, na- they're natural, and you can see them just bedded into the landscape. Yeah, they look like they're asleep, and they're covered in lichen. So we've been wandering around uh, in this amazing landscape of jagged stones out, uh, just jutting out of this turf, and Marianne's just dr- dragged me over to this this particular stone, with, it's like a wedge of cheese, just sticking nose down into the ground. But on one side are there these great claw marks. Like they must be 18 inches long, more than that, two feet long, like great grooves. So what's, what's going on here? 
So this is a polisher or polissoir stone. And these grooves here that you can see and this dished yeah, shape as well the in the surface of the surface of the stone. You can feel how smooth it is. It really is. These so are grooves soft. that have been created by people using this stone time and time again to polish ceremonial stone tools to an absolute beautiful mirror finish. So this isn't your average get a stone tool ready to, you know, use it, you know, Plunge around the house head domestically or, 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 or as a weapon. Yeah. These are ceremonial and you can feel how smooth it is. The equivalent would have been uh, on the finish and, and they're like mirrored finish stone tools. They're absolutely beautiful. So have you found, have you found um, people have found these mirrored yeah. stone tools? You can see these in Devizes Museum and Salisbury Museum or online, um, yeah. search ceremonial stone axe and you get the incredible colours and, and textures of the, the stone. Of the flint, is it flint then that would be ground? No, they right? would have used other uh, they could have used flint but it, that doesn't really polish in oh, this way, okay. that you kind of a nap, you break it to, oh. to get those edges. So these would have been um, sort of fine grained um, stones where you can kind of polish it and then you'd, shut, you'd, you'd knock it into a kind of rough out shape and then you would use this to, to polish it. It's like a knife sharpening block, yeah. I guess. Neolithic knife yeah. sharpening and then, and then through experimental archaeology, people have worked out that probably you would use um, maybe leather. You, you could possibly rub like animal fat into it to give it a sheen. So these would have been things that very high status people would have had. Perhaps would have been used for trading long distances, perhaps used as gifts um, or in marriage exchange, things like that. So this is the... Absolute this is being given jewels. the yeah. yeah or the i don't know the rolex watch or ah, yeah, yeah the crown good. jewels yeah here's a here's an enormous kind of prestigious you know thing, tiara yeah. this yeah. is the the stone the neolithic equivalent of so i'm assuming this stone hasn't moved or will it have moved well it have... that's a good good question um to use it as a polisher stone you would have used it sort of flat like this but there are some people who speculate that maybe at some point this was a standing stone as well right. so it was raised up possibly after it was used for this and actually a site that we're going to see we're going to be walking towards now uh, further south of here uh, which is west kennet longbarrow they've actually incorporated a polisher stone into the construction of this oh, really? tomb so they've taken old 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 stuff into a yeah it's, it's already yeah. very even old. for them yeah, yeah. they had that sense of of history and heritage and incorporating something that was meaningful to the ancestors yeah, it's extraordinary that's yeah it's really, really cool epic, actually. It, uh, and i kind of love this because you come in through the open access gate and you walk slowly downhill and you have to look out for the triangly stone it looks like yeah. a piece of toblerone <laughs> next to a, a kind of wizened old hawthorn near the gorse that's, That's what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the th th three words: gorse toblerone. Gorse toblerone. Hawthorn. That's yeah. it. Hawthorn gorse toblerone. There we go. There, if you want to find this polish, poli polisher, polisher stone, polisher, polisher, if you want to be fancy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like being fancy now. The sun's come out. So, <laughs> and you can find the um, grid reference or the lat long online as well uh, for this site. Well, I've never been. I have been to Fifield Down before. I've never seen this stone. I'm really grateful to see it because it's, it's sort of magical. It's and cool, it's kind of touching it? it now and it's just sort of it's not even really cold in this sort of cold and wet miserable day it's just something kind of there's always life in it it's got... lovely to think that this spot because you're right this stone hasn't moved anywhere it might have become upright and <laughs> mm. fallen down again but it, it's always been in this place yeah that we're now literally sitting on the same earth that people have come here for yeah. six thousand years that's minimum to do something special and to have a moment with and it would have taken the them a long time i mean knife hours. sharpening is a tedious yeah. long job anyway tens maybe hundreds of hours on one one item that's sort of again it kind of it's what you said in the previous podcast that their life can't have been just purely survival and um they had time to build these things they had time to spend they weren't always thinking about the next meal or the next storm or the next war band coming over the horizon. They had time to celebrate, to reflect and to build things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's not always to say that, you know, it was this sort of like idyll. No. It may <laughs> no. well have been... There's somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, well, it could have been a, you know, sort of a crackpot elite leadership <laughs> who 
were forcing <laughs> the overworked and underfed masses to a greater level. No, sort of uh, Egyptian. Uh, yeah, it could have been. Types of thousands died in the making of this. <laughs> in the making of uh, Avebury and, and such like. Oh um, yes, that's, so, that's a slightly less. But uh, yeah. alternatively, so and there certainly was. It, it appears to be that there were certain hierarchies in society, but probably not as unequal as it is now in certain places or kind yeah. of when you think of those kind of you know the pharaohs who were godlike and then a huge slave population yeah. i don't think it was that um but there is a big question you know kind of dragging tens of tons of stone even a relatively short distance a couple of kilometers is a huge undertaking raising them up digging the holes i mean if you've ever dug a garden or tried mm. to i don't know get a fence post in a hole without the help of you know, friends and family. Lots of burly Neolithic a, men, yeah. And women. <laughs> yeah. Or a mini digger. You kind of go, crikey, this is hard work. Yeah. Um, so maybe it was considered to be uh, labour in as, as kind of worship, as honour. Yeah. Or as, as a kind of that old dutiful... Chest, that old chestnut. <laughs> a duty or a sacrifice yeah. or a kind of um, gift. Or it might have been sort of... Um, demanded labor in the way you know almost like a sort of a system where you have to give a certain number of hours of effort to a sort of feudal to the fe- feudal yeah type or it might just have been a sort of bit more plain old kind of forced labor you know the war band thing yeah. had already happened you've got a bunch of people from the the neighboring region and you're going to work them until they keel over so we had a lovely walk along the ridgeway actually the ridgeway we couldn't record up there dear listeners because it was so windy um and we i that that face on uh rainstorm was quite something i'm still stinging i feel like i've had a facial (laughs) yeah Yeah, i don't need to go to the beautician i feel like i've had a facial right down to my bone (laughs) it's just a skeleton skull um but now we're in yeah now we're tucked in the lee of a of, of someone's burial mound I don't yeah. think they'd mind hopefully hopefully, no, well, hopefully they won't stir because these are quite creepy I find them quite creepy oh do you that's interesting in a sort of I think I there's barrows in Lord of the Rings and these horrible spirits come out of them and do terrible <laughs> things to the to the hobbits and I, I I read that as a young kid and I've always in a delicious way though there's a sort of creepiness about these who who lies here who lies here I, I think I think it's a good question because they are a presence in the landscape. You're absolutely right. So we are here at Overton Hill, which is a high ground spot. It's, um, in modern terms, the start of the Ridgeway National Trail. Uh, in prehis- uh, It was a site where they found Anglo-Saxon burials. They found Roman burials, going back through time. Uh, these mounds are Bronze Age, so from about 2400 BC to about 800 BC, but these mounds are probably from around 2000 to 1500 BC. They're just gently rounded, aren't they? They're just sort of very yeah. soft. Over time, they've grassed over and they've slumped down a little bit. But actually, where you can see, She'll there's just... a ditch. Uh, now, see. look across that way and you'll be able to see it a bit more easily. Can you see in the ditch, you can see it's got uh, is where the nettles are growing. Whereas the rest of uh, the field here, the natural land surface, you haven't got uh, as many nettles, you haven't got a greenness, you've got a sort of brownier, sort of more wintry grass look. Yeah. That's... So that's what I was... Um... So they were surrounded by their own little rampart, not, well, no, a, a little ditch. A little ditch, yeah. So um, these are bell barrows, they're known as, because they're the shape of a bell. So you've kind of got the mound, which makes the, the bell bit, and then a flat bit, and then a little ditch that encircles... Like the lip of a bell. Yeah. yeah. And um, and the ditch would have partly been to dig up earth to make the mound, um, but also partly to demarcate this as a special place. I see. And so... these would have been used for cremations, sometimes full-body burials, often in a crouched position. Imagine sort of curled up on your side as if you're asleep. And when you find people in these crouched burials, these fetal position burials, often they're buried with a beaker, either at their foot, maybe near their head. Um, and they've done sediment analysis. They've done analysis of what's on the insides of the pottery. And they think sometimes milk products, because you can sort of, they can still get the traces of oh, the, the fats from the dairy. Yeah. Um, but also um, something that might have been kind of honey or mead something like that like or a sweet alcoholic drink um 
And so when you're cheesy, cheesy, cheese and booze. Cheese and wine. Yeah, yeah it's cheese right. and wine party yeah, for, for the afterlife. For the dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been to a few of those parties. <laughs> <laughs> when mentioning no names. <laughs> I love the way these gulls are just catching the sunlight. There's, there's sort of birds drifting over the whole time. In fact, there was a couple of birds of prey hovering over the back, well, high up above the barrier. Oh, there's a rainbow. 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 You see just that little hint it's of dark. rainbow. Yeah, it's just... Oh, it's a whole bow. Yeah, it's whole all, bow. all the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, OK. Although I learned the other day that a rainbow is actually a 360 degree circle because it's the refraction of light so like a like a you just can't see the other half of the bow because the earth is in the way and and i think that's the wonderful thing about the ridgeway it's super accessible but you also do feel like you're getting this sort of breath of fresh air this this new perspective Mm. and if you want to um there's so much brilliant archaeology and heritage to explore as well fantastic you can go back in time as well as go into nature and as we've been walking down here, we've, we just encountered clouds of birds, and starlings, yeah. field fares, birds. I, without my binoculars, I'm feeble, so I couldn't identify, but I think golden plovers, there were all sorts of creatures out there, and there are constantly birds of prey up, in, up above. I, so I, I loved walking with you because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not great at birds, and so I kind of go, oh, look at all those twiddly birds floating <laughs> about in the wind. Um, or fluttering from that hedge to that hedge, but yeah, it's lovely that you can put a sort of a name, a name, yeah, a name yeah, to the yeah. shape. It was a bit lame today, actually. and tell me, but, um, uh, well, thank you, but uh, tell me about their their kind of habitat and their behaviour. It's amazing. It's really, it's it's a very special place and very different to kind of there's skylarks going over as we speak here. Um, yeah, it's it's just very different. It's really, I I love coming here because it does feel different. It feels, as you say. You can get a great view very easily. Mm. You can get away from things very easily, but it is quite safe. And there's a nice wood-beamed pub somewhere. Yeah. With it within half a mile or a mile, <laughs> there's always something. Yeah. Um, or if you're valley. if you're worried, you know, it's it's a very well signposted route, so you're not gonna accidentally wander off and get lost. You're not gonna fall down any precipices. No bears are gonna eat you. Um, <laughs> in that regard, it's all it's such a shame. <laughs> I don't know what the sheep know that we don't, but they're no, all they're walking all, they've that they've way all suddenly gone and legging it. <laughs> one's got a real limp over there. It's like me with my bad knees. Um, <laughs> should we wander onto the sanctuary? Should let's do a, it. Yeah, let's go and have a look at this. Fergus is hiding in the hedge, <laughs> trying to uh, Hedgehog. find a not so windy place. Yeah, this, is, this isn't too bad. Um, right. We are. We've just come away from. Oh, there goes a cement mixer, a, a, a non-Neolithic cement mixer. <laughs> we've got. We've just come away from the barriers. Very close by is this strange place called the sanctuary. Which, well, I don't know how to describe this. What's 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 going on here? Just circles of. Looks like it's concrete. Uh, they are bits of concrete uh, inserted in the 1930s, I believe. They mark the sites of timber posts and stones that were here so when the archaeologists excavated it um, they, they found these post holes the stone sockets uh, the timbers obviously rotted away but they could they could tell they were timber though from the yes. from the type of hole it was exactly the... so yeah so it's kind of like a mold basically so you can see the change in the color of the, the soil where it's kind of fallen into the gaps when as the timber rots away and from the shape and the, the texture of the outside of the hole, you can work out that it was a piece of wood, basically. Gosh, now, what even we... in the 30s, they, could, they knew that. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. I'm not, not dissing the 30s, but I think yeah. that's, quite a, that's quite advanced. And also, when it's a kind of circular tree-shaped thing, oh, okay. the chances of it having been a stone pillar are okay. less likely, perhaps. Sure. Um, and that they're very similar to the, the post holes that you would find in sort of palisaded fenced enclosures and also hut circles. So you kind of go, okay, well, they were building huts with timbers, so these look exactly like those. Right, okay. Um, and what this is, it's, it's a kind of a complex of circles, concentric circles. Um, we call it the sanctuary, but we don't know what they called it or how it was used indeed. Um, and sometimes when you see the archaeological constructions of reconstructions of sites like this, you kind of see things that look like they're all telegraph poles like very neat and Mm. orderly but don't forget these are trees that someone's chopped down to bring to incorporate into a a monument yes not not pine trees no they're they're, they're 
trees trees around here look like beech trees or there's <clears throat> hawthorns. Yeah, or oaks, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and they would potentially have been carved like a totem pole. They could have been, they could have kept their branches above ground. They could even have been upended so that you had the roots sticking up out and the rest of the tree planted sort of upturned entirely kind of wow, surreal really and weird. fantastical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also because of the way that the posts are aligned in the sanctuary, it looks like they were built to potentially, or they certainly could have supported something above ground so kind of lintels or a framework even some kind of roof structure and then this is where you can absolutely go to town you can be as creative and psychedelic as you like because don't imagine this kind of sterile you know telegraph pole monument it could have been festooned with heads or bones or entrails or bits of um, (laughs) bits of textiles fluttering flags flags why not (laughs) flowers why not Um, but but I quite like bones and entrails (laughs) (laughs) so imagine you know those kind of um, Himalayan peaks where you've got heaped stones Mm. and it's kind of a natural landscape but then you've also got those uh, prayer flags that are fluttering in the in the breeze Um, we could have had something like that here it could have been really sort of vivid and arresting or scary could have been welcoming Um, I think very different to Avebury this is quite a small monument and I think when you think of these stones and quite closely spaced together really there's loads of them it must have been quite dense then yeah structure was very oh what's the word I'm looking for kind of cosy and compact well yeah but maybe not cosy maybe sort of prohibitive so it might have been a a place that you can't go into that is the kind I don't know the holy of holies you know us riffraff must stay over here near the hedge or not even enter this sacred precinct perhaps so this might have been a place that people weren't allowed to go to it might have been a place that you had to keep away from even you would pay your respects perhaps but from a reverential and safe distance. So you can think of it in two ways. I always think of Avebury as a place where everyone's welcome and it could have been a bit of a party town. Whereas somewhere like the Sanctuary, I think certainly times that I've been here on my own and just kind of spent time in the monument, it makes me feel quite quiet and still, I guess, I think... Sort of subdued by this thing, or sort of more sort of. Yeah, like I need to hush my mouth and pay attention a bit more rather yeah. than kind of be gobby and going, oh, isn't this lovely? You kind of. Um, I love that. Are you getting. I mean, this, what we were saying earlier, it does have an effect on this landscape I in think different so. ways, and that's really true. I love the way you populated yeah. this. So I have been here before, but I was a bit sort of underwhelmed by, by the kind of not reconstruction. But actually, now what you've said, what it could be, it's a totally different place to me. What a place. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really interesting. And Um, it's really interesting because actually, if you look out over the landscape, over there you can see West Kennet Long Barrow, which predates this. The sanctuary was constructed about 2,500 BC, so four and a half thousand years ago. It makes it about contemporaneous. Um, It makes it about the same age as Stonehenge, when the big stones were erected at Stonehenge. But that monument over there on that field, which is about a mile away, uh, that's West Kennet Longbarrow. That's a communal tomb that was built by people about 3,600 years ago. So it was 1,000 so, years old before people put these, this monument here. Goodness, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, it is so close. It's, to describe it, is, it, it is like a... Well, it's... It's a long barrow, but it is just a lump, a long lump in the landscape, but quite sort of sinister in the middle of the field there. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. um, maybe I'm going too big on the sinister stuff, but it's... it's <laughs> I mean, you could also say, yeah, we are. So this is east, this is towards the sunrise of West Kennet Long Barrow. You've also got Silbury Hill there in the dip between the two hills, which is this extraordinary flat-topped, entirely human-made mound, um, almost 40 metres high. It's the biggest mound in Europe. Man, very odd biggest man-made mound oh, yeah sorry yeah, yeah, yeah sorry biggest biggest human-made mound and no one really knows the meaning of silvery hill and yeah we don't know hill. there's a theory actually uh, the archaeologist who did the recent excavations uh, a guy called um, jim leary his theory is that it marks the headwaters of sacred rivers and that this actually is a landscape that you have to interpret as 
not just about stone and monumental stone building, but it's a landscape of water and waterways as well. So it, Definitely yeah. need to bring Marianne here if you come walk <laughs> You've really done a brilliant job of populating it and bringing it to life. And, and anyway. you, you take the facts, and they are sacred, fine, but from there you make a leap of imagination to make it make sense to people in the way that we tell stories and tell stories about ourselves, about who we are, our place in the world, and about the landscape. And this... This short walk round Avery does that in spades. Gosh. Well, to the barrow. To the barrow. To the barrow with our trusted photographer. I know. And the rain is coming back. It's coming back. So this is the sound of us coming out of the wind and rain into... in the depths. Did you expect this? No. So I know that lots of people still use these sites because they consider them still to be safe. We've come in and yeah. Some banging of drum in the depths of the very end chamber. Strong waft of incense coming out of the chamber. something really magical about a place that was revered what, five and a half thousand years ago, no more. Um, this was constructed about 3,600 BC, so about five and a half thousand years ago, and it's still being revered and respected and treated as a sacred place now. And that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, it really is, and it's just the most amazing place. As soon as you come outside, it's, it gets more and more impressive as you get closer and closer. Mm. Uh, it is very good. And then you probably have to get this open, would you say? Um, this, yeah, and the rest of it is, is just earth, so there's no other chambers in the, the rest of it. Um, it's a proper cavernous space. Um, and yet also quite intimate. It does make you sort of bow, doesn't it? Sort of acknowledge that you're entering into somewhere that feels very different. And I think that's possibly why they built these kinds of tombs. It feels like you've gone underground mm. or into the earth, and the earth is wrapped up over the stones. So it's like the stones have been raised up and you've gone under. So it makes sense to me, I think, that if partly this is about embedding your ancestors in the earth, that you're in a belief system where your subsistence farmers, you know, you are entirely dependent on the cycle of nature and the cycle of life and the sun coming up, the animals staying healthy, the crops growing, you being able to bring the harvest in. It makes sense that your the most sacred spirits will protect your ancestors, protectors, guardians are in the earth as much as in the sky or in the water. And these saffron stones, these are exactly the same kinds of stones as we saw on Fifield Down. Um, and massive, and you can feel, you can sort of feel the weight of them around you. I think you can. And then this is the end chamber, and this, can you see, you've got these massive, massive sarsen stones, and then in between you've got really neat dry stone walling. Now some of it, okay, look above us, that bit of concrete, that plinth, that's, yeah. that's modern. Yeah, let's see the lighting. This is, um, this is the original. Yeah. Okay. 
Don't move that to the face. It's really neat, isn't it? Yeah, just block up the... To, to, well, a sort of design. Yeah. It's intended to, to be like that. And I think there's some like really fantastic features. Again, you don't know whether they're intended or whether they're accidental and weird. I'm leading things into it. I kind of think this stone has really amazing kind of holes in it. They've chosen such a lumpy, bumpy, almost looks like bone, doesn't it? It does. It's got those wire sockets and jaw. Oh gosh, look how when the light goes on it, the yeah. eyes and the nose. It's very. Like faces come out of the rock. Beautifully creepy. Yeah, it's sort of. And you think that might be deliberately chosen? These to sarsen stones do weather to a sort of bone colour, like a weathered bone yeah. colour. <laughs> so they would have touched these stones and. I think so. Tactile. And the question, question is again with the sanctuary is it that. Everybody was allowed in here. Was this the bone house, and you could come and go? And it was quite check out on your ancestors' bones. And yeah, you. or like I don't know. You kind of you've got a special journey to make, or I don't know. You found out you're pregnant, and maybe you come here to kind of have a moment or make an offering. Or was it a place where only the chosen, only the certain initiated or selected were allowed in, and actually everyone else was out there, perhaps mm. surrounding. Or maybe it's the kind of place where it could be both things. You know, like a parish church, um, where it's a coffee morning on a Thursday, but if there were a big funeral or something, then maybe it would be a different place. And you're surrounded by dead bodies because they're in the churchyard, but it's yeah. not just a funerary monument, it's also a life monument. It's a multifunctional. Multifunctional. Well, if you put this amount of effort in, you probably want to <laughs> pop back in and use it, but... Yeah, that's. I mean, that's great. Again, it's one of those interpretations which and goes against what is the sort of perhaps the tradition of it's just a tomb. It's just shut yes. off. Well, you sh- shove people in and then close the door again, and Get then you've done the burial yeah. thing. And actually, this forecourt area, so the bit that is sort of held by the, the edifice at the front, yeah, that appears to have lots of archaeological evidence little chips of bone evidence of fires pieces of charcoal so it looks like people were busy out there doing stuff so maybe that's where lots of the the ceremonial activity was and again ceremonial not to be kind of dour and straight faced and very somber it could have been quite celebratory or quite messy or chaotic I think it's that sort of blending of life and death that's making it less I uh, I don't know, tumultuous, that, that, that sort of less final. Yeah, I think so. And we didn't do it a bit in sort of modern secular Britain. I mean, imagine a a where you have a wake yeah. and you eat and you drink and maybe there's music or maybe creepy jokes and you cry. And and cry and yeah, it's yeah. all those things. Um, but there's a sort of sustaining of life as well as an honouring of the dead. Yeah. And I think definitely, I mean, people would have lived with death a lot more. Yeah. They think no one was going away to die somewhere quietly. That you know they're in your home. Um, children would have died. Babies and then you're in their died. home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know whether this would have been a sort of prescribed, a proscribed place, or whether this would have been a a place for gathering, or perhaps a bit of both. I don't. Know. I feel very moved by that experience. Yeah, very warmed. Up. Me too. Moved, warmed, and kind of. Yeah, there was something very special about hearing the drums in the depths. And, I think um, so. And well, we're going to head back to April, I think. It's That's right, like yeah, we're, we're curving round in the shadow of enormous Silbury Hill, which is right in front of us, an extraordinary and absurd monument. And then we're heading north and walking up a stone avenue back into the sacred Superhenge of Avery, where there is also a really excellent National Trust cafe that serves tea and cake. And I think with all the wonders that we've seen, the next wonder that I might want to see is the, an empty tea, tea cup. I'm <laughs> ready for cake and... Yeah, let's do it. But thank you, Marianne. It's been absolutely brilliant adventure, despite the weather. It's and, been... Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll do more Ridgeway walks because it's so special. Brilliant. I'd love that. Yeah, come with me on more adventures. So that was an extremely rainy outing, but saved by the brilliance of my guest, Marianne Hota. Thank you, Marianne, for that brilliant walk and talk out in the wilds of one of my favourite places in the British countryside, the English countryside, 
the Wiltshire Downs. And just lovely to hear, well, lovely to be there in this ancient place and for there to be so much wildlife um, and a sense of real sort of connection to those ancient ancient people who now the landscape's empty, but they're, they're, there's all these signs and signals of all these layers of civilizations that have come before us. So, and she really brought it to life. So th- thank you. Magical stuff. And if you've never walked the Ridgeway, really give it a go this spring and summer. It's probably, <laughs> I'd avoid doing it in deep winter, but get up there and enjoy it. And and hopefully you'll see some of the, some of the marvels. Talking of marvels, <laughs> back in the studio with um, my podcast team of Jack and Hannah, who helped produce the podcast and make it make it real, make it special. And without them, it wouldn't exist. Uh, I promised last week that they would be here, and here they are. We're back. We're back. <laughs> We're back. Hello. Happy New Year. Jack is here in the studio, and Hannah is remote in Wales, but on a little screen. So, hello, hello, friend. Hello. Miles away. Um, so yes, we as I said last week, the a typical podcast. We go out in the wilds and then we come back to the cozy studio and chat and reflect on what's been happening and in the podcast and in our wild countryside lives. And it's been a while since I've seen you both. It's well before Christmas, long before Christmas. Lots has happened. Any any exciting tales of of the wild? Yes, I have been in Wales making the most of the rain. Yeah. Um, it's been <laughs> terrible, um, but kind of. Cleansing, refreshing, so nice to be out in the cold and the wet after the indulgence of Christmas. Uh, well, did you indulge then? Did you, you, you did you have a, course, you went for it? Of course, yeah. proper festival time, winter stuff, lots of food, lots of love, lots of joy. Excellent. That things. sounds like a good Christmas. Yeah, I, I sort of, I, I was I normally really busy at Christmas time, and that you know that bit between Christmas and New, New Betwixtmas. Year, Betwixtmas, yeah. Uh, I did nothing this year. And when it rained, I almost sort of went, okay, I am compelled to stay inside and dream about adventures rather than having them. Um, so, yeah, Jack, were you out and about? Did get out and about those. I think since last week, I've seen you both. Um, just before Christmas, we had some snow. Uh, yes, there was a bit. Yeah. I didn't have any snow. Wow. Down where I am, uh, we had a, a flurry of snow, a night of snow. Um, which stayed around for ages because it was really cold, sort of the I the following imagine. days. So it just when normally you get it you get it overnight, and by the end of the day, it's normally already turned slushy and melted away. Whereas this time, it yeah, it just lingered for ages. The tops of the fences were covered for I want to say a good five days or so, just untouched. Um, so that was nice to get out in, and it's nice to see Did the snow again. I didn't go sledging. Uh, it was. It was unfortunately. It was the week I was feeling quite a little bit rough, so uh, no. <laughs> sledging wasn't really on the agenda. Um, but I could still appreciate it. We missed you both because you were yeah, ill or away, and uh, now you're back. We can celebrate Christmas slightly belatedly. I have a little Christmas present for you both. So oh bear with me, listeners, while I just sort of fumble around in the studio here to see if I can find that. It's behind me. This is very it's not very well wrapped. Jack, will you open it for us? Oh. <laughs> what is that? So these are I don't know if well it's it's a long So it's run, a very yeah, it's long long thin parcel. Thing. Very long and thin. It's about the height of Fergus sitting down. Yeah. Oh, it's a black cloth with a nice red trim. Yeah, it's very, Ooh. very smart. Uh, I particularly selected this. There is there are two covers for these things. Are you going to let Jack open? Oh, yeah, I should let Jack. No, no, reveal it. I want you to reveal (laughs) it to me. (laughs) Okay, well, it's going to come out sections at a time. I can't get into (laughs) Uh, this. This is a struggle. It's, that's part of a... It looks like a a rod to me. A rod, a fishing rod, I should say. Oh, my goodness. Uh, There are are two fishing rods in this pack, inspired by our dear friend Kevin Parr. Oh! Goodness. And inspired by um, the joy of getting out into the countryside, and then kind of one of the most wonderful experiences of 2022. There's two rods. Wow. One is a three-piece fishing rod, and one is a two-piece fishing rod. So you're going to have oh, to. Oh, I could cry. That's so sweet. You can, Thank you. Um, you can fight amongst yourselves. I haven't. I've only got one reel. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, uh, but I might be able to get another reel at some stage. I just have, uh, I've, I've been, I've been looking on, uh, you know, those auction websites and those yeah. classified ads websites, and I found some <laughs> locally. Uh, and this one I repaired from scratch. So it's completely all rebuilt rod. So that one is particularly well, special. Way. Anyway, happy Christmas, chaps, and uh, maybe we'll Thank go fishing. Maybe we'll go fishing again. Gosh, I feel like I'm on the repair shop. This is. <laughs> this, this one is. I a, can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, yeah. So many happy fishing trips, and we've got a fishing episode coming up in this series with with Kevin, which will well was incredibly magical, and I hope we can mm. convey some of that when we when we come around to editing it. This uh, this present is kind of a spoiler as to how the day went. <laughs> yeah. We've really been teasing up this uh, this episode. I think we've mentioned <laughs> it a few times. Now the rods have come it's out. Just so much fun. Other episodes. I should mention we've got some really good guests coming up. We've got Keris Matthews. We've got a recording with Keris Matthews. Wow, oh, really? really? Uh, which is really exciting. So the musician and a regular DJ on Radio Six, and she's just a fantastic. She's got such connection to the countryside. Looking forward to hearing that. One of our colleagues, Margaret, met up with her. And next week, we have the special of me going down a... What is it? It's a hole. <laughs> me going into a cave in the Mendips with historian Amy Jeffs. And that's really worth listening out for because of... Well, Amy sings in the depths. And it's so beautiful. Anyway, back to this, back to today's episode. We, well... When we mentioned, you mentioned snow there and my regret of not actually getting a recording of it. I wonder if anyone out there recorded their footsteps in snow or could record us some footsteps in snow and send it in. It could be our sound of the week, which is one of our favourite things is when listeners send in some recordings that, that you've sent in, that you, the listeners, have sent in of birdsong or footsteps in snow or splashing about in a stream or a waterfall sound of a tractor on a distant hillside. All these things, just little postcards of little audio snippets of country life. We love to hear them. And our favourites each week, or our favourite emails from you each week, we give a little treasure from our podcast library, which is an extensive collection of fantastic countryside books. And I have a book here because we have a very special sound of the week and email of the week, which I have... We've winged it all the way via the powers of modern technology to Hannah and Gower. To, uh, would you be able to read it? Yes. So this is from Marcy Price in York in Maine. I love your podcast. I listen every day on my morning walks on the northeast Atlantic coastline. Your podcast relaxes me immensely and I've learned so much. I backpacked around England and Scotland in 1983 at 19 years old, staying in hostels, hitchhiking and using my Brit Rail pass. I fell in love with your country. I'm planning to return for my 60th birthday in about a year and your podcast has helped me with ideas of where to visit, especially places I missed back in 83. I thought you might like to hear this recording of our evening springtime peepers and a loon with its haunting call. This recording is made from a small lake in wetlands where I have a little cottage. Focus, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. Well, technically two. What is a peeper and what is a loon? So, okay, a loon, I can tell you straight away, yep. is um, it's a bird. It's like one of our divers. So I, when I was up in Scotland, I heard a similar sort of sound to that last year. Uh, ooh, sort of weird. <laughs> I don't know. That was spot on. <laughs> was, it, was it like one was in the room there? Um, but it, do you know, that that loon sound is so evocative of so many american movies where you're out in the swamps or mm. that kind of eerie spooky sound i think it's a brilliant brilliant capture there marcy and our peepers of a little our frogs i think so that's that sort of solid chorus of high-pitched peeping uh where the little frogs marcy calls them the small chorus frog so um cool really lovely to hear that from from faraway places and mm. 
We'd love to hear more. We'd love to hear your sounds. Don't mind where you are in the world. Marcy, thank you very much. I have a book for you from the podcast library, and it's called The Accidental Countryside, Hidden Havens for Britain's Wildlife by Stephen Moss, very great naturalist and TV producer. And um, it's hopefully perfect for when you come over and visit because it's full of ideas of places to go to see the very best of Britain's wildlife. So we'll wing that to you and hope you enjoy it. Great. Well, hopefully we will be out enjoying new fishing rods and new adventures. Uh, But next week, join us for the Mendip Caving Expedition. But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye.